Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we conduct negotiation and conflict management workshops that make difficult conversations easier. You can either request a customized workshop for your company or attend one of our many upcoming public workshops. In May, we're going to have workshops in Columbus, Miami, and Los Angeles. Visit our website or check out the description of this episode to learn more. Our guest today is Doug Witten. Doug is a fellow attorney and now works as a bilingual mediator and arbitrator. He has an incredible wealth of experience in this field, having mediated over 1,000 cases. We had Doug on the show today to talk about negotiation jujitsu, which is a fascinating topic and will be incredibly helpful for you in your difficult conversations at work and at home. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Doug, thanks for joining us, my friend. Kwame, I am very excited to be here. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to talking with you. My pleasure. So how about we get started by uh, telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, I am a mediator, and so negotiation is at the heart of what I do. I am the founder of a mediation and arbitration business called Innovative ADR International, and I help individuals, companies, and their attorneys resolve lawsuits outside of court. And my focus areas are healthcare, workplace injuries, and cases involving Spanish-speaking parties. I have been an attorney for 23 years. I started my law practice as a corporate healthcare attorney with a couple of large international firms in Atlanta. I was in state government for a number of years after that, and now I'm enjoying private practice as a neutral. And the bulk of my work and my passion is in mediation. I've been a mediator since 2003, and I've served as a mediator in around 1,000 cases. So as a mediator, a neutral party, the diplomat, problem solver, and peacemaker, as I like to say, <laughs> I, I, I guide negotiations that lead to the resolution of cases more efficiently and with less time and expense for the parties compared to what a judge or a jury can typically provide. And mediators can often provide a better alternative to that through mediation, giving parties control over their outcomes through a structured negotiation process. And I really love what I do. It's challenging and fun. I help people in conflict, solve problems. And because my work improves people's lives, it's incredibly rewarding. And for the parties involved, it's so much more flexible and user-friendly than going to court. And it gets results. And also, I just have to say my most effective training by far has been parenting twin boys. (laughs) (laughs) My wife and I are literally co-mediating every day, and we have the perfect petri dish for testing mediation techniques and seeing what what works between parties in conflict and you know how instinctively kids negotiate so that definitely keeps us on our toes absolutely yeah and i know that (laughs) that is no (laughs) joke because some of my best techniques come from uh what i've learned with kai so i can definitely empathize right fantastic well i'm excited to have you on the show today because we're talking about something that is incredibly practical 
and incredibly helpful, and that is negotiation jujitsu. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, and I'm glad you asked about this because, as you said, this is a very useful way of looking at negotiations I've found, and this is a phrase that I first came across years ago when I read Fisher and Uri's Getting to Yes, which is, of course, required reading for anyone interested in principled negotiation. And it stuck with me throughout my mediation career. I just love the concept and the imagery behind it. So the idea here is to try to move someone in a negotiation off of positions and to focusing on underlying interests. And this is a key objective of the Harvard-style principled negotiation strategy they teach. So the scenario would be that the other side asserts a firm position, and your first reaction will be to, what, reject it, defend your proposal, and then you're, you're stuck digging in on each side. If they push you, you're going to want to push back. And we're, we're human, even we lawyers are human, and lawyers are trained to pick apart opposing arguments, support their own positions, and litigate and fight. But getting stuck in this loop doesn't get you anywhere at mediation, and personalities start to clash and you're stuck in an unproductive cycle, you're in a hole and you're using a shovel to try to get out. So this gives us a different way to try to handle attacks or strong positions you might be up against in negotiation. I love it. Perfect. And so in the time we have, can you outline three of the uh, most important elements of negotiation jujitsu, and then we can go deeply into each of them? Sure. I think the trick, number one, is to pause take a step back. And that's the first step is just to kind of take a step and resist the urge to what you're going to want to feel is to push back. And step two would be don't push back, sort of let their attack come, let them vent, let them say what they need to say. And then three would be to redirect or deflect as in martial arts like judo or jujitsu, don't collide against their strength with yours. Instead, give it a sidestep, redirect and channel toward looking for objective standards, more rational conversation and interests underlying the position and pushback the other side is launching at you, whether that's strongly asserting their position, attacking yours, or at worst, attacking you personally. I love this. And, you know, with these strategies that you've given us here, pausing and then allowing people space to vent and then redirecting their energy into something that's more productive, these are things that we could use in every conversation, in every negotiation. But I believe that they are especially valuable in situations where it's a heated conversation, when there's a lot of emotion. And that first step of pausing is something that we don't do as often as we should. And it is so simple, but so easily overlooked. So in your opinion, why is it that pausing is so important to do at the beginning? Well, you know, I love the tool of silence. And you'll read about this in many negotiation books and hear about it in training courses and for good reason. And that's because it's such an effective tool, but we have to train ourselves to be comfortable with it and master it. You want to kind of give the conflict a little bit of space to breathe. You want to give people an opportunity to kind of hear the words that were just said and just kind of take a moment to 
process before you immediately launch into a reaction. Right. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. There's value on both sides. So it's beneficial for the other person because it gives them time to process whatever it is you just said. And there's also benefit for you as well because you have to gather yourself. It gives you an opportunity to think through your next step. One of the things that I always say, and I'm sure you could relate to this (laughs) as a father of twins, is you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Once it's out there, (laughs) it's out there. And if you say something in the heat of the moment and you haven't taken the time to process it, you can't take it back. (laughs) And so even if you say, hey, I'm sorry, I take it back. What does that do? It, It causes people to focus on what it is that you just said. It's like the judge that tells the jury to ignore what counsel just said. Well, okay, I think I'm more interested now. So taking that time is an important strategic move because it gives you an opportunity to think and strategize and approach the conversation in a much more thoughtful way. That's exactly right. And you make a really good point there in that we're talking about emotions, not just of the person on the other side. There's some value in letting that person vent and letting that person get things out that need to get out. But also, you're on the other side, you're going to have reactions too that you need to kind of process and you need to be able to deal with as well. So there's emotions on both sides. And interestingly, as a mediator in between the two sides, typically, but then again, I'm a person too, and I'm likely to have emotional reactions internally as well. And just like the parties involved directly in the dispute, I also need to keep my emotions in check and not let that impact me so that I can best help the parties themselves in resolving their dispute. Definitely. A couple tools that we might consider discussing You know, I want to be able to give people some practical tools that they could use because they might be able to understand, hey, okay, I should slow down. I should stop. But then they might say to themselves, but wouldn't it be awkward if I don't say anything? How do I actually do this? And I think in mediation, you have the tool of caucusing, which is either the mediator or the party can say, listen, can we take a little break and talk amongst ourselves for a little bit? As a lawyer, something lawyers always would say is, uh, let me call my clients (laughs) and and, and talk about this. And so with um, legal negotiations and mediations, there are these built-in type of off-ramps that you can take in order to gather yourself. But sometimes it's not as obvious in everyday conversations. So in your opinion, what are some things that you can do or say in order to kind of make a smooth transition to give yourself a little bit more time? Well, you're right. That is not an easy thing to get comfortable with, that silence. And, you know, it takes time for you to be able to get comfortable with it so that a lot of times what, you know, I find useful is to, if you can sit there and just embrace that silence for a minute, the other side is typically going to be equally uncomfortable or more uncomfortable with that silence. And that person's, that person's going to generally fill the gap of silence and you're going to be getting more information. Giving that person the space to continue talking is often enough to get them to continue giving you valuable information that will lead you to a better understanding of that person's underlying interests and start thinking creatively about how you can work towards creative problem solving together. And just being able to listen and actually, you know, that's something that it's 
easy to say, but it's often hard to remember to do is actually take that time to really listen and use those skills that we love to use, like trying to read body language and using our emotional intelligence to try to figure out what is the person saying and what are they not saying beneath what I'm actually hearing. And then sometimes they're just going to fill in those gaps for you the more you can give them that opportunity. And like you said, there are times where you are going to want to take a break. You're going to want to have to, you know, consult with a client or just give yourself, go grab a cup of coffee or take a walk or just give yourself a chance to do that additional processing that you might need to continue in a constructive way. Absolutely. There are a couple tools that I use to give myself a little bit more time in these conversations. I'll give the easiest one off the jump so we can get into something a little bit more difficult (laughs) in the conversation. If you're on the phone, you could always say, hold on one second, let me call you right back. Just let me call you right back. Are you free in two minutes? And so you can hang up and then say, oh my gosh, what what was that? (laughs) So you can gather yourself in that way. It's pretty easy to get off the phone, especially when you say, I'm going to call you right back. Another thing that I do if the person's right in front of me and I don't have that option is I ask a question that I already know the answer to. And I ask it in the form of an open-ended question. So it allows them to elaborate. And since I already know what the answer to the question is, especially if I'm really rattled, it gives me some time to gather myself and check out a little bit because I already know what's coming. Or I might ask them to clarify what they just said again to give myself more time, even if I understand. As a mediator, what I do is I say, can you give me a second to take some more notes? And so I always have the notepad in front of me. And then I take some notes, you know, obviously I'm writing real words down, but to me, really what I'm saying is Kwame, calm down. What are you going to say next? (laughs) What question are you going to say? And I think it's really important to make sure that you give the appearance of equanimity under duress. You don't want the other side to know that you are shaken in that way. It's just not persuasive, right? And so with all of these techniques that we're using to give us that space in all of those, we want to make it seem as though we're in control of our faculties (laughs) during the process. (laughs) So the other person doesn't think anything negatively about us. Right. And, you know, asking questions, like you said, that is a great way to deal with that situation. And in other couple of things you can try to do would be to summarize what you think the person has just said. And sometimes that'll involve maybe some reframing or some kind of restating what has been discussed so that you can, again, give yourself that kind of mental break. And then by summarizing and repeating back what you think you've heard the other party just said, you can make sure you're continuing on the same page and you're you're kind of controlling the framework of the conversation going forward. Right. Fantastic. Oh, man, this is good. This is really good. Perfect. Let's move on to the second step. And we touched on this a little bit, which is allowing them space to talk and vent. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, again, if you're working sort of in the framework of trying to help people move from their positions to interests, sometimes you are going to have to directly deal with emotions that are that are underlying what is going on in the conversation. and. So yes, you know, one of the really valuable parts of letting somebody vent is that that gives them an opportunity and you an opportunity to deal with emotions that are such a key part of 
what might be underlying the dispute in a lot of situations where you're going to want to give people the chance to express themselves, let them blow off steam, let them say what's on their mind instead of having it sort of simmering under the surface. And I find that a lot of times when you give people that opportunity, they will take it. You'll sometimes be shocked what comes out when you give, just give people the floor and give them a chance to really let things out. And I think in most cases, once people have had a chance to do that, they can then start shifting to dealing with kind of the more let's say rational or the more business elements of what you're trying to accomplish but you have to deal with those emotions one way or another and letting them get it out is a great way to do that hey everyone i just wanted to pop in and remind you that we have negotiation and conflict management workshops coming up in columbus miami and los angeles and now back to the show Absolutely. And I think this is a really underrated part of the process because I think it's really under misunderstood because we think about this as an attack. But really what's happening is it's their um, the response from their amygdala, their fight, flight, freeze response happening. What they're saying oftentimes, especially in a heated type of situation, what they're saying isn't necessarily logical. It's emotional. And so a lot of times people will say things where it is not substantiated and it's just a lot of anger and aggression. And since I understand where that's coming from, literally where in the brain it's coming from, I take it all with a grain of salt. I'm like, okay, this is probably something that will be classified as something they will later regret. I'll let that go. <laughs> and when and when I see them start to calm down, then I would assume that the frontal lobe is starting to take over and they're thinking more rationally. At that point, that's when I would engage. Another thing too is that we have to kind of reframe in our own minds the way that we interpret these things, not just the location of the brain where it's coming from, but also the fact that whatever somebody says is information. Some might be more valuable than other pieces of information, but it is still information. And so if somebody's venting at me, I think of this as an opportunity. And in every single part of these conversations, you, in order to stay relentlessly collaborative and positive and proactive in these conversations, you need to ask yourself, where is the opportunity in this conversation right now? And now I recognize that if somebody's venting, they are going to spew a lot of words in my, in my direction. And I just say, yes, give me the data. I will gladly accept this. Negotiation is an information game. And the more information we get, the better off we'll be in the long run. Absolutely. And emotions are a key part of what comes up in my mediations, because typically, say in a work injury case, you have high emotions on one side and primarily objective number crunching on the other. So there's an injured worker who could be in physical pain, who's lost income because of an injury, which can create all sorts of financial strains and financial strains can lead to emotional stress within the families and then relationships at work go sour after an injury and a lawsuit for all sorts of reasons. And the injured employees might feel abandoned by their employers. They can feel betrayed. And then they're dealing with a difficult system legally that can be frustrating for those trying to get medical treatment or weekly income replacement checks. And they come to mediation and they're facing an attorney and an insurance company who look at this more as a business decision. And they're looking at calculations that really have nothing to do with an employee's bottled up emotions. So 
bridging that gap is a challenge, but it's often essential to getting the two sides to reach an agreement that is going to both deal with the emotional issues and also the financial, business, and legal issues. What's interesting about our role as a mediator is that a lot of times what I find myself doing is translating the messages from one party to another in a way that they would understand. Because you speak Spanish, so I'm assuming there are cases where there is a situation where they literally cannot (laughs) understand each other. But in a lot of cases, it's a situation where they emotionally cannot understand each other. And so I'm in the middle of grading papers for the law school negotiation class that I taught at uh, Ohio State's law school. And um, one of the things that the students said in their journal reflections was that they appreciated what they learned in terms of mediation because it helps them to understand how they should communicate. And in essence, what they should have is an internal mediator where they have something that they really want to say, but they recognize they probably shouldn't say it that way because it could blow up (laughs) the negotiation. And so they find themselves filtering it through the internal mediator in their head before it goes to the other side. And I think that gives a good visual for people on how these conversations end up happening because they might vent to you and you have to take what they've said and reframe it in a way that's more positive for you to be able to understand it and then recognize where they are emotionally and psychologically and phrase what you want to say and the questions that you ask in a way that can be understood by the other side. That's right. And building on that, I kind of think of this as what I would call mediation mindset is something that everybody can use because it gets you in the habit of taking a look at a situation from both sides. And ideally, after lots of practice from more like a 360 degree perspective, because you know, mediators, we are in unique positions because not only do we see what works well and what not so well in negotiations across so many different personality types and situations, but but by the end of a mediation process, we wind up with more information than literally anyone else involved about what it will take to get a deal done because you're hearing from both sides. So if you can find opportunities to sort of think like a mediator in everyday life, you'll start getting in the habit of finding the perspective of the other side. And in my experience. This is what the best negotiators do. They can see things from the other side as well as their own. If they're really good, they can almost feel what the other side feels too. I like that. And so before we get into the next phase of this, can you tell me more about what you meant by the feeling part? Yeah, I think this is really falls under the category of empathy, which I think Chris Voss calls it tactical empathy, which is That terminology might rub some people the wrong way, but the idea is that empathy is an extremely powerful key to successful negotiating. You can't fake it, and understanding the other side doesn't mean agreeing with them or feeling sorry for them, but your goal should be understanding, and that's often going to unlock the key to finding solutions is really understanding, kind of going back to what we were discussing before, is getting both sides and realizing that there's got to be a way to get all of your interests dealt with through understanding what both sides need. Right. And I have to credit Chris uh, for his contribution because I think one of the best things he did was that he uh, took empathy and made it cool. 
<laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's not empathy. It's tactical empathy where there's a strategic purpose to it, but you're still doing the exact same thing. And I think that helped some people who might not have been as touchy feely to recognize the value of empathy, which, again, actually is a, a good uh, persuasive technique because you recognize what some people need in order to ultimately do what you want them to do, which is empathize. No, I'm not empathizing. That's too soft. What about tactical empathy? Yeah, I can get down with that. <laughs> strategic. It's strategic. Exactly. And yeah. I think it's uh, important to distinguish, like you did, between empathy and sympathy, where empathy yeah. means that you can understand the other side, where sympathy has another part, where you feel what they're feeling, and then you feel obligated to alleviate that emotion for them. You feel obligated to do something to relieve them of that feeling. We don't necessarily want want to do that just for the sake of doing that, because sometimes that could lead you to sacrifice your interests without getting a commensurate concession in return. But empathy is important because it helps you to understand. And that's really what we're going for here. Exactly. Exactly. Fantastic. And now let's go to the last step, which is redirection. Right. So step number three is, again, in it's redirecting or kind of deflecting what's coming at you and you don't want to you don't want to push back you don't want to have your strength colliding against theirs but you're trying to do here is ultimately move the conversation off of positions and towards interests and that means not getting into the pushing back and forth but starting to get conversation moving towards something more objective and finding some standards that you can talk about rationally and start using those to form the framework of what will hopefully be an agreement. The trick here is shifting the conversation to something that will get you to that reason discussion and then help you find a creative solution to your conflict. I love it. Yes, this is so critical, but so hard to do in the moment, especially if somebody is not being productive at all, when they're saying things to hurt you or bring you down. What are some things to keep in mind as we try to reorient the conversation to something that's more productive towards our interests? Well, I find that something that tends to work very well when you're trying to kind of shift people a little bit onto those objective evaluations of the proposals on the table, again, you're going to be wanting to ask questions and ask questions in a way that are geared towards really understanding what the person is trying to tell you, what's behind the position they're taking. Things like, what are those numbers based on? Or what's your theory here? Or how can I explain this to my client? Help me understand. And question after question, I think it's almost like a Socratic method approach to negotiation we all learned in law school where you ask question after question so that the person answering is sort of guided to a place without being forced there. You can remain completely in control of a conversation by asking the right questions. And once you start asking those questions, you can start talking about those more objective points that will ideally get you towards a more constructive conversation. And when you're asking questions, of course, the part that's easy to forget is to actually then listen to the answers. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, lawyers, we're not always the best listeners. And lawyers do like to talk. But if you can start to ask those questions, get the answers, again, using silence where you need to, 
really letting those answers come out, you can use all of your tools of observation and really start to be like a detective and try to make sense of what people are telling you when you're giving them the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. And I think to your point, listening is critical. And another part of listening within the context of uh, negotiation and uh, difficult conversations in general is the fact that you want the other side to feel heard. Because one of my biggest frustrations is when I'm actually doing a good job of listening to somebody and then I don't get the credit for listening and they say, I'm not listening to him. I get, it irks me <laughs> to know that I'm trying so hard here. And so um, one technique that I use is the empathy loop. And this is something that you referred to earlier, not by name, but by strategy, essentially, by form, is um, when you hear somebody give an answer, what you do is you summarize it for them. And then you start it off by saying, correct me if I'm wrong, but blah, 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 blah. And that's the summary that you put there. And then you say, is that correct? And then you put them in a position where they either need to say, yes, you're right, and admit that you were listening so you can move on. <laughs> or um, it gives you the opportunity to clarify your understanding because you might not understand correctly. And they say, actually, no, you're wrong. Uh, let me try again. And so it leads to more understanding and you get more credit <laughs> for the fact that you're actually listening. That's right. And I think you talk about a 70-30 rule in your book, where you're looking to be listening 70% of the time, talking just 30%. And I'll tell you, as a mediator, I think I'm going for maybe even 85%, 90% mm, listening. Because yeah. that, that's where I get the information and let people, again, get those things out. And that gives me a chance to look for those key words that reveal what might be going on below the surface, signs of emotions or other drivers that will be the difference makers between reaching an agreement and maybe not. Yeah, it's so simple, but so difficult to execute because it's not really based on the things that you say per se when it comes to that breakdown of communication. It's all about your restraint <laughs> because we want to talk, but holding back <laughs> is, is such a powerful technique. Right, right. hundred percent. And by the way, thank you for reading my book. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll tell you, I found myself reading and just nodding my head the whole time. It's such a useful framework that you've put out there. And I think it's something that people can really use anytime they're in a negotiation, just keep those basic ideas about acknowledging the emotions and getting curious with the compassion and moving towards the joint problem solving. Those are such useful tools. And I thank you for for putting that out there because I'm already using those in my work. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. I just want to give people a simple framework that they could use because I know in stressful situations it's uh we're unlikely to remember anything complex so I wanted the foundation to be pretty simple so it's like okay I'm really mad I can't even see straight but, <laughs> but I can remember these three things at least at least I can do that you know what's funny with this is that even with these three elements that you provided with negotiation jujitsu Again, what it shows is the power of curiosity, because with a lot of these situations, when we're lost and we don't know what to do, asking a question and seeking to understand and learn more, that's the, <laughs> that's the solution. It's crazy how simple it is. It is. It's really just relationships and dealing with people. I mean, showing people their respect and giving them the opportunity to express themselves. It's just, it, like you said, it's a very powerful tool and it leads to a better understanding for both sides if you just give people the opportunity. I agree 100%.
Well, perfect. This has been a blast, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. I mean, this has really been fun. And I just, again, thank you for all the work you're doing. And I just love having these conversations and getting a chance to share ideas like this. Fantastic. Well, good deal. Before you go, can you uh, let the listeners know how they can get in touch with you? My website is innovativeadr.com, where you can get in touch and find more information about mediation and arbitration and the work I do. And I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Fantastic. And I'll put all those links in the description to this episode. Thank you so much, Kwame. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.